Welcome to Frankly Speaking. This is a new podcast on responsible business by Frank Bold, the European public interest law firm. I'm Richard Howitt, and after several years debating responsible business issues inside the European Parliament, I host our discussion of the latest political, legal and business developments in the field of corporate sustainability, business and human rights. We speak frankly and personally about what moves policymakers, business and activists to make responsible business the norm. Now, often we hear that discussions about corporate accountability are too dominated by developed countries and that we need to hear more voices from the global south. Today, we're doing just that. What does the global value chain look like from the other end? How do concepts in international documents like the guiding principles apply on the ground? Is it really possible for victims to get a fair hearing? My guests are Maxwell Atutura, a farmer and fisherman in his homeland of Bulisa, Uganda, who for the past six years has been relentlessly defending the rights of people affected by the East African crude oil pipeline, EACOP, linking Uganda with Tanzania. He's joined by Nicholas Omonuk Okoit, a 23-year-old student and part of the Fridays for Future Climate Strike Movement, MAPA, or Most Affected People and Areas. Maxwell and Nicholas, thank you so much for being with us on the Frankly Speaking podcast. You're welcome. Now, um, uh, to both of you, we all know that fossil fuels cause huge environmental impact, but they're there for us and with us at this stage in history. What are the particular problems about the East African crude oil pipeline? Maxwell first. I thank you so much um, for hosting uh, me and my colleague. We are so honored and privileged to be here. Uh, there are a number of uh, impacts created by East African crude pipeline, and the, those are coming. Uh, so far, uh, what has happened is that the displacement of people has occurred, the, the loss of livelihood of many people who depended on the land which they have lost. Uh, we are seeing it happening. We are also seeing that um, uh, the activities of East African crude pipeline are taking place in the uh, most protected areas and the areas which are rich in biodiversity. We are looking, uh, we are seeing the wildlife conflict happening uh, just because some of the projects are taking in the middle of national parks, like Machison Falls National Park. And uh, this has caused that uh, animals like elephant entering people are leaving their habitat, running away from the noise, running away from the disturbance, ending up to people's home, killing. We have registered some killings. Uh, people have died because um, the elephants have invaded their homes find them, kill them, and also destroy their crops, uh, crops, property near their homes. We have also seen that uh, land grabbing happening. Uh, there is a lot of people losing their land in, an, in unclear circumstances, um, whereby that, uh, the compensation itself is it's meager, it's not prompt, it's not timely, and uh, this has left people uh, vulnerable and miserable. Many are failing to take back their children to school, 
men are failing to treat the uh, treat the diseases they are suffering because they really don't have money to do so and all this uh, is happening because they don't have uh, land uh, which is the the main factor of production in africa which is the main source of income in all the families without land no no future at all because it's where we depend for most of things uh, in africa we uh, in uganda in particular we depend on fertile lands we t- we depend on nature for rain uh, so in case of any climate change in case of failure for rain to to come the farming cannot take place and if that means famine can really hit the families the drought it really impacts animals very badly and people we find that the pollution itself it is really causing a number of diseases i'll give a reference of uh, the place uh, called the kasenye where the central processing facility uh, is being constructed it's, it's kind of industrial area where by the most of the um, industries uh, factory uh, f- uh, factory industries facilitating the oil you know it's a, a, cent- a purification center uh, separating oil from water and the sand so in this area there are number of facilities taking place we have so far seen uh, a lot of dust coming out of this area entering people's home affecting people people feel a sickness like a, as, um, asthma uh, when it is a dry season and when it turns to rainy season we see a lot of floods the flash floods coming from this area uh, really affecting people badly and the, the water which come from this place always come when it is contaminated with some chemicals and it does not stop in this place alone this contaminated water flow up to lake albert it and it enters lake albert whereby this is the lake where majority of people are depending for water for food and everything so contamination we are really against the contamination of these waters we really think it is real um something which is going to cause um then uh, uh, putting people's life at risk so uh, these are some of the um impacts already they witnessed we've heard there of some pretty immediate impacts on wildlife on human health the concerns about land grabbing but nicholas you're campaigning against this pipeline because of uh its impacts on climate climate in uganda and climate in the world would you like to say a little more about that yeah uh i think um one of our big biggest threat i can say is is climate change uh and uh we have to do all our possible means to fight against climate change and one of the things we have to do is to fight against such fossil fuel projects i come from east eastern part of uganda in palisa and most of us are pastoralists and over the past years we have received severe climate induced droughts and during this period it's very difficult for us to 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 get water for our animals and to get pastures i can also talk about uh, in bali it's also in eastern uganda we have received a lot of floods over the pastures and landslides and a lot of people have been displaced from their lands a lot of people 
have lost their loved ones. And so many people had to actually leave their homes and had to leave their land because of what was happening. The government resettled a number of people, but they could not bring back their land. They could not bring back all their farms that they had. It's the same thing that is happening in in Western Uganda, in Kabale and Kasese, there's been a lot of floods and a lot of landslides. And over 100 people, I can report, have died uh, because of these severe climate impacts. So the, 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 the way that climate change affects us, especially in the global south, is a different issue. It's not only affecting us in, in Uganda, but this year alone we've received uh, cyclones in Malawi and Mozambique. We've received uh, we've received a lot of um, uh, floods in also Democratic Republic of Congo and over 500 people lost their lives and also lost their homes, they lost their properties, some lost uh, everything that they ever had. And in Libya, we've lost over 10,000 people. We've had a very huge flood in Libya this year in Africa and over 10,000 people lost their land. A lot of homes were displaced. We're, we're seeing how climate is, climate change is affecting us, especially in the global south. But it's a different issue when it comes to the global north. It's all, it's not always the same issue. They don't face people who, who are causing this are not always facing the same issue. So we, we are very, we are at a very huge risk of extinction than people who are privileged. And the people who are privileged are taking advantage of us because they, they are not facing these impacts and because, uh, they're, they're, they're using this as a way of and making more profits and trying to keep greenwashing and seeing that they can always run away from this. But this is something that we cannot run away from. We've already seen a, a lot of uh, wildfires in, in Hawaii. We've seen uh, floods in Spain. We've seen floods in Europe too. So this is actually a sign that a climate change is, is coming and it knows no borders. And the reason why we fight against these projects like the East African crude oil pipeline is because it's going to cause so much more damage to our ecosystem and also to our existence. It's estimated that over 30 million tons of carbon emissions are going to be emitted by this project every year. This is going to mean more global warming and more climate change for us, especially people who are in the global south. And what could this mean for, for, for us in the global south and also for the people on, on the planet for, for our ecosystems. We've already seen that we are approaching 1.5 degrees. What could this also mean for our climate targets? What, what could this mean for the global warming temperatures? So this is something that I can term as a carbon bomb. And we as climate activists and humorous activists, we have to step up because climate change does not only affect us in terms of weather, it affects us socially, it affects us economically, it also affects us in different ways. It, it even cuts across to cause migration because a lot of people have been migrating because of these severe climate impacts. They've been leaving their homes, they've been trying to cross to other countries because of what is happening in their community. So this is something that 
is a threat to every aspect of our lives and this is something that we have to fight against and this is and when, whenever i see every fossil fuel projects not not only the east african crude oil pipeline but also other fossil fuel projects around the world i really get hurt and i really get annoyed of how leaders are not fulfilling their commitments. I think your anger is understood and, and you're definitely representing that concept of most affected peoples. And I'm sure that's being heard by our listeners directly. But back to you, Maxwell, um, we're not here to adjudicate on all of the detail about this particular pipeline. And of course, if the European and other oil companies that are behind it were here, they would, they would contest some of what you say. They would say that they are protecting the water quality and the, they're being, uh, uh, sensitive to the needs of the national park and they're denying land grabbing i think they they claim that everyone who gets displaced from their home is is getting a better home um uh but what you've said is that in practice that's not the experience of the people there when you hear a big european company or companies say that in the media in the global north or um uh, to their investors and compare that to the experience that you're seeing feeling in the ground how do you respond yes um there have been a lot of um uh, greenwashing statements uh from these companies uh claiming that whatever on whatever they are doing on the ground it is correct it's okay and there are no challenges there is no any problem the issues we are talking about are manufactured issues are not real on the ground. Um, but uh, also at the same time, they are so harsh to the somebody who is going to the ground to uh, get the real uh, facts on the ground, you know, uh, being subjected to harassment just because they want to get the real facts on the ground. Um, the people who were displaced were given compensation. Um, the, the challenge with the compensation which was given, it was meager, it was delayed, and not enough to restore these people's lives. Um, one acre of land, for example, in a Tilenga project, Resettlement Action Plan 1, was given uh, Uganda shillings 3.5 uh, million. That is uh, around 950 euros. Then, can the 950 euros enable this person get a land, a easy land back? No. Nobody has managed to get back the land. He lost. Uh, the people who, who asked for any kind of compensation. I don't, I really want, uh, if these companies were here, I would ask them to list the number of people whom they got in the land, those who asked land to land. They give us the list for people whom they got the land. And you would see them not getting any people, uh, list, any person that they have managed to get the land. They have pressurized people to get compensation, cash compensation. Whoever had asked for land to land was denied, was put to pressure to ask for smaller cash compensation. The majority who are assigned 
they signed because uh, there were factors, unfavoring factors, which made them to accept to sign uh, accepting that man. Factor number one, there was um, a delay. Uh, there was a cut-off date, which was put, that, uh, uh, which limited, restricted people from using their land. And in doing so, many people became miserable because they could no longer grow food and they lacked food. They lacked most of the skin assistance. At this point in time, many people ha wanted the money badly. So whatever kind of money they could accept because they had no option, they, they had to pay bills which are accumulated. They had to take back their children. They had to do other things. And that's why many had to really accept. And another condition was that uh, there was intimidation to these people that if we refuse your money, we are going to put your money in court. And majority of people, whenever they hear the word to do is court, I'm seeing the whole situation of the judicial system is how it is not independent enough. They feared to go to court and they said, uh, instead of going to court, let me accept whatever is on my uh, table. And others accepted because they had been promised, uh, they had been promised to be uh, given better lands. You know, the, um, the companies had promised to give them better lands, uh, to get them land titles, to get, you know, a lot of things were promised. But uh, when it came to reality, nothing was done. And many people made the mistake in, in accepting because, the, because of the promises which were done uh, to them. Do you mind if I ask you that that element that people are being forcibly displaced and have been subject to threats, intimidation, sadly, I understand that you yourself personally have been threatened, and I think even when it was in prison for a while. Do you mind if I ask about your personal experience on that? Because I think our listeners, it will help bring home what this is really like. Yes, my personal story uh, in regards to the oil companies, uh, it has not been good because uh, it has subjected me to a different life, a different bad life. I've not gone through throughout my life. I will tell you, I have not, I'd never gone to sales uh, detention throughout my life. No, I, I have a good record. I'm a very clean person. Because, but I went to sales because of the multinational projects, uh, oil companies, uh, uh, oil, oil projects. Because I was, uh, uh, the first time, I was arrested and uh, put in sales. I, I spent two nights, two days. Uh, in cells uh, for the for 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 the reason I didn't really clearly understand why I was arrested and because um, even I was when I was taken to police uh, first in Ibulisa and later on transferred to Oima uh, police I was only being asked questions about uh, oil and gas the first question was why. Do you write badly about the oil projects in Uganda? Why do you write badly about eco Pantilenga? Is it bad? The another question was who really who is sponsoring you to fight this project? Another question was are you terrorist? Are you uh, uh, working with the foreigners to stabilize the, our go government? These were the questions they were asking me. Oh, oh, why are, you, why are you writing petitions? Why are you inciting violence? Why are you making the project affected persons to refuse compensations? This is, this, these, are, these were the questions. 
asking they, they used to ask me uh then later on on uh after two days you know it's not allowed to stay more than 48 hours uh in cells in the country so later on even after this 48 hours they had to release me on police bond and on the police bond the case which they wrote against me was unlawful assembly and they kept me reporting on police bond after two weeks sometimes three sometimes one month it took long it became an endless police bond then before even that one is ended the second time the security you know oil companies are getting the, the weakness of our government in the south in, in global south are taking advantage of that and they are compromising the government first making them to 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 work against their own citizen in favor of the profits they are looking at to get so uh, our government was also compromised in that regard and the security agents the government agencies became like the workers of total they make they became like workers of this multinational company anything which is uh, to do with multinational company government would be the one to come in like to 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 be on their side as community is saying this is not proper we cannot accept this as as environment and human rights defenders are saying this is not proper we need uh, a better future we need sustainable development we need a better way of doing things the government will come to suppress the government would be used to come and silence ex uh, exploit their own people and say, suppress whoever is talking that just with the aim of causing fear and that's what they are been causing on me uh, all day long right now they are doing a lot of blackmailing to me. Uh, they are saying I fight government. That's, that's the narrative really they have created against me. And um, you know, it has become really like a, an unfavorable situation for me. And I know this is just a tactic of putting my effort down and which I really, I, I don't think that they will, I will, I will stop. I, will, I won't stop struggling for justice. All I need is justice for people, justice for environment, and justice for climate. As people and, spend. And obviously, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And of course, those of us involved in the business and human rights debate know that freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, freedom of the right to protest uh, are important freedoms that companies who are involved in situations in third countries should be working to try and protect. But on the ground, we're obviously hearing it, it's very different. Nicholas, um, we've heard how difficult it is to um, necessarily get justice in a country like Uganda, and it's by no means the only one where justice systems and democracy are, are fragile, and it can be difficult in the way that Maxwell has described. But you've come on this speaker tour when we're recording this podcast, uh, going to Brussels, going to Vienna, going to Ljubljana, to try to appeal to international opinion uh, to the countries where the home companies are based, uh, that are behind this project. What sort of hearing are you getting and what's the sort of message that you're giving to those in the global north? So the question of access to justice is very difficult when it comes to these big corporations because one thing that corporations use is 
they take advantage of our political uh, structures because they know that our political structures are one-sided because most of the African leaders and African uh, leader, most of the African leaders uh, do not really listen to what the people are saying, do not really take the ideas of the people. So corporations know that if they approach uh, maybe the leaders, then they have won it. They, then the people cannot uh, cannot stand against their governments. Then the people cannot uh, uh, cannot fight this. You are in Brussels. Um, you are talking with governments. You're talking with the European Union. What's your message to them about how that can change? What are you looking for them to do? Yeah, we, we're mainly looking at them uh, trying to make sure that their companies uh, have some liability for for such projects they have climate liability and they also have liability for damages and uh we, we have seen how all this project is eurocentered this project is um is mainly by total energies and most of the financial institutions uh, are coming from these developed countries some of them are coming from europe some of them are coming from china some of them are coming from the united states and all this is not coming from uganda all the insurance companies that were involved that stepped out most of them are coming from europe all and right now there's actually one company it's it's called isoplus it's in it's coming from austria and this is one of the companies involved in uh in the making of the insulation pipes for this pipeline so we can all see that this is a european project this is a european project but in a global south country so they have to hold their companies accountable by setting right restrictions for their companies because they will we have tried to fight against uh, against a lot of things against land grabbing using uh, the, the the due vigilance uh, law in France, uh, but this didn't work because the the law was vague. The law was not uh, very binding. To was not binding and this this law is there but it's not binding so one of the things that we're fighting for such laws to be binding for the european companies and not only european companies but also companies that are passing through europe companies that are centered in europe and are having a lot of activities in the global south and one of the things that we're fight we're advocating for is for corporate sustainability due diligence directive or the supply chain law to hold corporations accountable and also to remedy people who are affected. Do you mind if I just put that question directly to Maxwell? So many of our listeners will know about this corporate sustainability due diligence law and they might think this is another European Eurocentric discussion and so it will be very interesting for them to hear uh, voices from Uganda, from the Global South, saying, yes, this is meaning for us. Do, do you believe that laws such as that, if it's part passed, will make a difference? Can you connect what's going on in Brussels with what's going on in the, the region and in the area where you live? Yes, we have a stronger belief in um, Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. It's come, if it comes into uh, practice. We really have some hope in this uh, directive, um, given that um, uh, they, like Nicholas has said, that most of these companies are doing all sorts of destruction 
are coming from Europe. And we feel that Europe in this regard have a lot of say in setting the obligations and the liabilities to these companies coming from their uh, countries. And also have small bit of understanding that Europe don't really like uh, funding things which cause destruction. You know, so with that, we are to maintain that. Uh, we, we think that Europe can have a say in uh, stopping destruction by setting uh, binding laws as binding directives like this. So um, there are laws, such laws, uh, which are uh, like in France, there is the duty of vigilance law, whereby uh, we, also, we tried to use it like I'm a plaintiff. I am plaintiff in one of the cases against Total, uh, asking for reparation for the violations which we have suffered. And this law, uh, in the first case which we had, uh, which was there, we saw that uh, the law, the, the judge failed, failed like to use the law, was saying, yes, we have the law here, but uh, it's vague. I'm failing how to use it. And um, that's why we need uh, to be the clear, the, the clarification on such a, um, a situation whereby judge can be able to use a law and really get justice for people, not just having a law which is there in a name uh, for the country to say, yes, we have the law, but where in application you cannot apply it. You cannot use it to, 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 to put your, uh, these companies liable. I know it is a weak, it is setting a weak liability for the company, for the company like um, Total, just to give it a, a go ahead. So uh, Germans still have the law, but uh, still we have not seen it acting. This is, these are the laws uh, which are in different countries, but they are not really doing much. They are like, they are no law, almost equal to having nothing. So uh, this, we are here to, to ask for something which is tangible, something which is sensible, the law which is really making sense, which people can use uh, to, to get justice. And um, that, that is our appeal. We think by uh, having uh, CSDD, uh, something like uh, justice for people will be realized, justice for environment will be realized, because it will set a very strict, a strong restriction, set strong liabilities and obligations to the companies, and the companies will not act the way they, they can, because knowing that uh, when they go into uh, countries like Uganda and other global South countries, they find laws which are weak, which are, uh, cannot be implemented. Right? That's a very, very strong call, Maxwell. And uh, folks, it's not a setup. These are genuine, authentic calls coming from a, a Global South organisation uh, and shows really the high expectations there are in the world for the new corporate sustainability due diligence directive. We're nearly at an end. I want to put the same question to both of you, but Maxwell first. Um, you're obviously a powerful campaigner and activists and you're prepared to take personal risks to do what you believe is right. What are you going to do next in terms of your activism? number of things I plan to do uh, in, uh, in activism. Um, of course, I cannot say that uh, they will be conclusive. They can really um, get uh, by doing only this can reach where we want there will be a number of like uh mainly there are four things i will i uh, i'm doing and i'm con i will continue doing one is um uh, taking legal action 
for any kind of uh, impunity and violation is taking place. That is the strategy I will continue taking on. Secondly, I will continue working closely with the victim to, to petition different stakeholders to see that there should be really change of things. We should really be able to get what belongs to us. Uh, the third thing, I will, I will continue. I do it. I will continue doing engaging the media uh, personalities, engaging the journalists. We always, we'll always go to field with journalists and researchers to write, investigate, and get the facts on the ground. I wouldn't really, I, I will not stay, sit there and hear um, uh, greenwashing going on that the, these things are not happening. The only answer to that is to go with the journalists on the field and write about what they have seen and hear the testimony from the community, from the real affected people really get the feeling of how things are done. As the multinational company continue to say there is nothing, I think some of these reports are from the journalists, from the researcher, from everywhere, they will be there to, test, to testify. They will be there to give the facts on the ground. I will also continue to develop strategies with the uh, victims on how to, to deal with the burden of proof because it is one thing which has proved to be one of the greatest challenges um, which uh, the victims are facing. The multinational companies are very strong in hiding the evidence. They are very strong in, hide, in hiring the many lawyers. They are strong in, doing, in manipulating the uh, judicial system and all other systems to see that they remain on the good side. They remain on the good path inward when they know they are even doing something which are not human but they will manage how to manipulate that so we are i will continue seeking for uh, access to the documents of multinational company so that uh, the burden of proof, uh, proof can become more easier so these are the uh, the techniques i really want to call, to do and continue uh, i will just i really call upon european uh, european governments to talk about the burden of proof, to help the victims to really get the better way of uh, proofing their suffering. The access, access to remedy, access to justice is one of the three pillars of the UN Guiding Principles of Business and Human Rights. They've existed since 2011. And what we're hearing is that in 2023, it's still a huge shortfall. And this is a massive example of the imbalance of power that exists uh, between companies not even intentionally, but between companies in the global north and the communities that are affected in the global south. I do want, Nicholas, just to have a chance to talk about your future activism. You've stood there with Greta Thunberg. You're part of the Fridays for the Future movement. You're a young student, that, and it's your generation uh, that most of all we're all working to save from climate change. What are, what are you going to do next? Yeah, what we're, what, uh, we're planning next is we're planning to have um, more waves of actions against fossil fuel projects like the East African crude oil pipeline. And we're also planning to target uh, the finance sector because most, if there is no finance, then these projects cannot uh, go on. So we're planning for those occupations and we are also targeting uh, climate conferences like COPs, uh, like COP28 to demand for climate finance 
for the global south countries to help them uh, adapt to these climate impacts, to help them mitigate these climate impacts, and also to help compensate people for the loss and damages caused. Now, I don't think that uh, most of the burden should come from us uh, climate activists in the global south. Most of the burden should come from the people who are in the global north and most people have to what they have to do i think is to keep fighting and keep supporting us in our fights because for us our fights is, is a matter of life and death so they have to support us and have to hold the leaders accountable they have to ask their leaders to vote for right laws and policies they have to ask leaders to 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 put uh, in place uh, strict climate protection laws to help protect not only us but also their themselves and also protect their themselves and also their future of 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 other people and the future of their generation so i can say that um that's currently what we are working on and we we just want to keep fighting and keep uh making the world better for everyone and yeah i just i think that's what i can say yes maxwell nicholas often you hear Northern NGOs, uh, sustainability people from within businesses arguing for a more level playing field between the global north and the global south. Uh, and sometimes those voices are accused of being a bit paternalistic. But what we've heard in today's Frankly Speaking podcast is your direct voices from the global south saying, this is what you want. We've not tried to adjudicate all the issues. And if the oil companies concerned want to put their point of view they'd always be welcome to speak to to frankly speaking uh, but what we have done is to hear a, a powerful case that the sorts of laws that could be passed in europe and in global north countries really can make a difference there's a demand for them from activists on the ground in the global south to maxwell atutura and to nicholas omonuk okoit thank you so much for joining us today and if you want to contact them or find out more about the specific issues uh just um uh, put stop eacop into your search engine that's e a c o p stop eacop and you'll be able to find the links to their organizations and work there you've been listening to frankly speaking the frank bold podcast on responsible business we'd like to invite all our audience to send us your feedback to frankly speaking at frankbold.org and to share this conversation. Watch out for our next episode and find out more about Frank Bold's Responsible Companies section on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Thank you again to Maxwell and Nicholas and to all of you for listening. Do join us next time and goodbye.